Good evening. Welcome back. Will you join me in the New Testament at 1 Peter chapter 4? 1 Peter chapter 4. Context. The Apostle Peter wrote this under guidance of the Holy Spirit to Christians who were living in exile and enduring persecution. Now, in our age, it wouldn't be unusual for someone to argue a situational justification that would sound something like this. If I'm being punished because of my faith, if I'm being exiled and persecuted, everybody's going to understand if I just step back from my faith a little. If I relax and not be so engaged in my duties, I reason that the difficulty that I have in my life now grants me permission to be free to some extent, of those obligations that I've accepted before God. Typical reasoning that might be made today. That kind of reasoning would not play well with the Apostle Peter. But higher than that, it certainly would not play well with the Lord. In fact, it is the case, strength of faith is disciplined and displayed in times of hardship. It is no time when hardship hits us to back away from our faith. Courage and steadfastness and patience is developed. When those who love the Lord do not argue in favor of disobedience from their circumstances, but remain committed to obedience to the Lord even when persecution comes because of it. So with that background in mind, 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that, through, uh, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift, 
use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Christians are people who do what this passage teaches and who think as reflected by the words of the Apostle Peter, even though <coughs> their earthly circumstances may be exceedingly unpleasant and even under threat of death because of their faith. This is what we do. This is who we are, described by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. I want to use this approach tonight. Christians are people who... And we're going to let the passage fill in those blanks. Christians are people who have decided not to give in to the flesh. Verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Verse 2, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Giving in to the flesh, living a life driven by carnal appetite, not allegiance to God, is what we rejected when we were baptized. But there is, there is a great pull in the world to live by appetite, not allegiance to God. And it would sound something like this. If it tastes good, you eat it without any moderation. Excess is encouraged. If you want it, you take it as many as you can get your hands on. If it feels good, you do it over and over again. Modern thinking is where there is desire, gratification should immediately follow. Living in the flesh is giving yourself up to appetites. And the devil can use that to entice us day after day after day and take us away from God. Christians are people who have decided not to live that way, knowing that Christ arms us by his death and his instruction to cease from sin and live for the will of God. Christ demonstrated thoroughly that he was opposed to sin. We ought to be like him and be opposed to it. He arms us to oppose it by his death and teaching, not just in word. Everybody can say, I'm opposed to living by appetite, but in behavior, we should be rejecting what we were forgiven of when we obeyed the gospel. Christians are people who have decided not to give in to the flesh. Christians are people who reject fleshly appetites and live for the will of God. Now put those two things together. 
And what you have is a composite of the negative accompanied by the positive. Say no to sin. Say yes to the will of God. That's the phrase you see there. For the will of God. That's the positive that should accompany the negative. You say no to living in giving in to the flesh. You say no to sin. You say yes to the will of God. And there's no complicated, mysterious theology in this phraseology. It means your life is directed by the will of God. It means that what God wants is more important to me than what I may see and be attracted to in the moment, may I repeat. Living your life directed by the will of God means that what God wants that He has revealed in His Word is more important to me than what I may be attracted to in the moment here on the earth. When you read through the Bible and you discover what God says is good and right, that's what your commitment is. That's what you committed to when you were baptized. When you read through the Bible and you see what God says is wrong, and we're going to get to that here in a moment in this text, then you abhor it as God abhors it, and you stay away from it. Prohibitions cause you to raise a flag of alert when the devil puts that appetite in front of you. All the directions and encouragements to have a certain attitude ought to be attractive to us. All the directions and encouragements in the Bible to pray should be attractive to us, to worship, to join with other Christians in good work, to give and sing and teach others. That's the will of God for your living. Since we have the will of God to direct us coming out of sin, one should be clear. No more living by fleshly appetite. Now I'm going to live positively for the will of God. Look at verse 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Ideally, those behaviors should no longer hold any attraction for people who've been baptized. Ideally, those behaviors should no longer hold any attraction, if they ever did, for people who have been baptized. A few examples here of living in the flesh. Christians are people who reject fleshly appetites, say no to sin. The positive that accompanies that is to live for the will of God, even if we're maligned because we do that. Listen to verses 1 through 5 again. Let's put all this together. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them 
in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. No matter what people say, I'm going to say no to sin and yes to God. No matter the climate and the trajectory of society, Christians are people who obey God anyway, no matter what. And this is so important. The gospel was preached to people before they died, according to verse 6, that they might live unto God. Conversion is designed <coughs> to elevate us, not keep us the same. The gospel was preached to people before they died, according to verse 6, that they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Conversion is designed to elevate us, not just keep us the same. So let the world say whatever they choose to say. Even if friends and family consider us fanatics or narrow-minded, Christians are people who live for the will of God. We've decided not to give in to fleshly appetite. We reject fleshly appetite and we live positively for the will of God even if we are maligned. Now, we come to a section of the text now that could be called, And so. And so we will be self-controlled and sober-minded. Verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Christians are to be thoughtful people. Disciplined, seekers of wisdom, always thinking before acting, accompanying that thinking with praying, and monitoring and reviewing what we do and what we think. For the Christians that Peter wrote to, an end of their persecution may have been pending. Sounds like it. Thus, their need to hold on and be patient, and be self-controlled. Those who live for the will of God want to be clear-headed, thoughtful, and sober. Even when the world constantly tries to pull us into appetite, and chaos, and falsehood, we want to be clear-headed, and thoughtful, and sober-minded. Christians are people who are self-controlled and sober-minded and who love one another. Verse 8. We live in a world of conflict that is marked by some of the foulest childish hostility we've ever seen before. The country is divided Conversations about differences quickly turn into heated debates with insults and lies and name-calling, sometimes violence. The country is divided. We live in a world of conflict. Here's one part of that that ought to concern us. Our children and grandchildren are now witnessing adults tearing each other apart with vengeance 
and aggression, often not able to even state their case, just anger out of control. I hope and pray our kids and grandkids see something different in us. That no matter how ugly the world is and the nation is, in God's kingdom, we just keep loving each other. We just keep loving each other. Even when love requires we speak the truth, we just keep loving each other. The desire to attack people you don't agree with, the impulse that exhibits hatred and encourages violence, God's people reject it. And one evidence is we just keep loving one another. Though we may be aligned and the world puts appetites in front of us daily, we just keep loving each other. And one expression of that is we show hospitality. I don't think God's faithful people who suffered persecution in the first century worried too much about where they would live. I believe they knew if persecutors drove them from their homes, they would be welcomed into the homes of their brethren. This wasn't common social hospitality where you invite somebody in for coffee and donuts, though that's fine. That's not what this was primarily in the New Testament, though I'm sure Christians got together. This was Christians taking care of other Christians in a climate of hostility and persecution, knowing they could depend upon one another. It is what Christians do, even though they are maligned. And we use our gifts to serve. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Stop and ask yourself this question. What has God given to you? Now, make that question very personal. God has given the offer of salvation by His grace that we studied about in the sermon this morning. But make this that I'm talking about here a very specific inquiry. What talent, what experience, what particular realm of knowledge, what opportunity, what resource do you have that can be used to serve one another? I steadfastly believe that there is no Christian on earth who is empty-handed, who doesn't have something to give. Even if it is praying for others and encouraging others. But way beyond that, there may be a lot of things you've not really thought about that you're able to contribute and give to serve one another. What talent, what experience, what opportunity, what resource do you have? Christians are people who receive from God and give to others. We use our gifts to serve and we speak the oracles of God. 
I had something to say last Sunday night about how God expects us to act. When we approach someone we believe is weak and falling away from God. And in that sermon I talked about how we are tempted to use our words. Maybe our first impulsive words that come to mind. And so we craft very quickly some remark or statement that we come up with only to discover it was not spiritually constructive. It didn't have value. It was self-defeating. And I said to us last Sunday night, why not just open up God's Word and repeat what He said? Why not just speak the oracles of God? If anyone speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. In so many cases, we would be better off to shut up and let God speak. And just read what he says. God's people have more trust in his words than our words, right? God's people, Christians, are, <coughs> no matter if we are maligned and suffering, Christians are people who are self-controlled, sober-minded, who keep loving one another. We are hospitable to one another. We use our gifts to serve, and we speak the oracles of God. Now, the next part of this may be the most important part of the sermon. Why? Why do we do this? That God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. This is why everything before this statement is important. This is why everything we've talked about is important tonight. It holds great value for us while we live here under the sun, no doubt. It enables us to be effective disciples while we're here, good friends and neighbors, and contribute to society, and be valuable members of our family and our local church, living as God directs through Peter in difficult times, creates peace for us internally. All of that is true. But the highest aim is that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Look for a moment at that word glorified. It means to show the dignity of. To broadcast the worth of. To acknowledge the greatness of. Now we do that through Jesus Christ... And we do it by being self-controlled and sober-minded and loving each other, <clears throat> being hospitable and using gifts to serve and speaking the oracles of God. And back to the first part of the passage, saying no to fleshly appetite, saying yes to the will of God. We show the dignity of God by living that way. We broadcast His worth. We acknowledge the greatness of God. Believing and saying all along as we live here, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Christians are people who live every day for this high purpose, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So when I read this, is this the way I'm living? 
Do I need to make some major adjustments? Do I need to keep on the good track, the good pathway? Do I need to make personal inquiry of myself about what I have to offer? Is this the way you're living? Each one here needs to make this personal inquiry. A preacher years ago who had been preaching over 60 years was interviewed and the interviewer kept asking questions like, what have you done? How many have you taught? How many have you converted? How many places have you been? How many things have you done that are great? And the preacher was an humble man and he just stopped the whole interview. And he said, listen, it's not about me. It is about him. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's be standing as we sing.